Well, good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be back after being gone a couple weeks. And um, Leslie and I were able to go back east, spend some time just together, chilling out, seeing family. I want to say thank you to Pastors Brian Howard and Jeremy Haynes, who spoke in those couple of weeks while uh, I was out. Also, uh, say thank you to my brother, Troy, uh, who's a pastor on our team, because uh, on Father's Day weekend, I was able to speak at the 6 o'clock Saturday night, the 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, but I had a kidney stone that affected me that weekend and could not speak at the 11 o'clock service, and so uh, very few pastors on our staff could pick up on Father's Day on my message titled, The Five Things My Father Taught Me About God. (laughs) Besides my own brother, so he stepped up and did that at the 11 o'clock service on Father's Day. I'm grateful for that. That little pesky kidney stone, uh, I knew it was coming because back in December when I had pneumonia and they did some uh, CT scans on my chest, one of the doctors in passing, it wasn't their focus, but one of them in passing said, uh, you got a pretty good kidney stone in your right kidney and uh, it's going to come out at some point and it might not be pleasant. And so... It was for me a matter of when and not if that that kidney stone would affect me. And so I knew it was there and it did get me that weekend and into that week, but I'm all better now. Got some time away to relax and refresh that was planned ahead of that. But you know, there are things in life that really are not about if they're going to happen, but when they're going to happen. We want to talk about that today as we go back into the book of Daniel. If you want to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to talk today about when, not if, your faith is challenged. Some of you may have had your faith challenged already. and You've sought to live in love like Jesus and hold to uh, the values of Scripture in your life. There may be friends or coworkers or neighbors, relatives that have pushed back and maybe challenged your testimony, your walk with God, your, your values, your faith. And if it hasn't happened to you, it's not a matter of if it will happen, it's a matter of when. Last week, Pastor Brian, in looking at Daniel 5, the story of the handwriting on the wall, he talked about how Daniel lived in exile. And by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is in his early 80s. It's been six and a half decades since he was home in his home nation. He was there in Jerusalem, uh, the city of God. God had brought judgment on his people through the Babylonians, and some young men like Daniel were taken into captivity, and he lived his life as a follower of God in a culture that had little to do with the values of his God. And so we talk about how Daniel lived for God in exile, in a culture that had different values than God had for him. Today, more and more in our own culture, we live as exiles, living in a setting where the culture's values are not the values we're to live out in Christ. And so it's not a matter of if your faith will be challenged. It's a matter of when. Last week, uh, Pastor Brian concluded the message as he was talking. He concluded with five questions that faithful exiles allow themselves to ask, five what-ifs. The first one that he said was, what if the current cultural decay is creating fertile soil for great revival? Maybe God is up to something big. What if technology allows us to reach every nation with the gospel in our lifetime? What if the hopelessness of our age leads millions to the hope found in Jesus? What if the slide to secularism isn't as durable and as inevitable as it seems? What if we're only seeing the beginning of all God wants to do in and through our church? Calvary Community Church as a church is 
uh, just over 45 years old. God has used this church in wonderful ways. We've been humbled to see God use this in this community, in our state, in our nation, and even around the world. And I, as your pastor, look forward to the next 5, 10, 15, however many years till Jesus comes to see God work in and through us here at Calvary Community Church. I like those what ifs. What a great way to conclude that message last week. And it really is a great introduction because if those things are true, if, if God is up to something big and God wants to use us to make a difference in our culture like he used Daniel, then we have to understand that our faith, our values, our testimony will be challenged. It's not a matter of if, but when. And I want us to see in Daniel 6 that when you live faithfully for God, eventually someone will challenge not just the expression of your faith, but the very existence of it. It won't just be how you practice your faith or how you live your life, but that you actually have faith, that you actually hold the values that are so distinct and different from the culture. But we don't need to be the ones who panic. That's okay. Just stay faithful to God no matter where that takes you. For Daniel, it took him into a pit full of ravenous lions, but he was willing to be faithful for his God no matter where that faithfulness took him. Let's look in to Daniel chapter six. Let's look at verses one through five. I want us to see here three things we've gotta remember when our faith is challenged. Verse one of Daniel six. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire to make him like the prime minister or the chief of staff. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling, handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Listen to this. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. They knew he would remain faithful to his God, and so they're gonna set a trap to trick him and trap him because of his predictability and his faithfulness to his God. Now you gotta remember that when God used the Babylonians to judge his people, that individuals like Daniel and others were taken off into captivity while others were slaughtered and killed by the Babylonians. A person like Daniel became an advisor to then King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians. He becomes an advisor to his son. He has value that he brings and he gains respect so that even now as the Medes and Persians have now conquered the Babylonians and taken over the world, as had been predicted in the prophecies that we saw as we talked about the prophetic aspects of the book of Daniel. As the Medes and Persians take over, they too see value in Daniel. And as they are establishing order in the new empire they've established, they divide up the regions into these 120 provinces and then they put rulers over those and rulers over those until you get there are three high officers and Daniel is one of them, this person living in exile. And the king is thinking about putting him over everything because he's so trustworthy, has such integrity and such wisdom, but that irritates some, and they challenge him. I want you to see here in this first aspect of this story, 
how you respond when your faith is challenged, what you gotta remember, you gotta remember when your faith is challenged that how you live is more important than what you believe. How you live is more important than what you believe. Now, don't get me wrong, what we believe is very important. The theology, the doctrine we hold is very important because it reflects who God is, what he expects of us, how we live and love like Jesus in this world. Biblical theology is very important. But how you live is more important than what you believe. Why is that? Because personal integrity is the best way to communicate biblical theology. We've had too many voices speaking from platforms and churches. We've had too many voices on podcasts and writing books and, and, and trying to argue and defend the faith or speak up for Christian values, teach the word of God, and then to see their own personal integrity lacking and they fall prey to the same lust and greed and pride and hunger for power as anyone else. And so the world looks and says, there's no difference between us and the Christians. They talk a good talk, they got this belief system, but they don't live by it. We need to be faithful Christians who live with personal integrity like Jesus Christ. Our world needs that from us. The best way, the best way for us to communicate biblical theology, God's views, is how we live our own personal lives. We need personal integrity. Notice verse four. This description of Daniel, he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. They couldn't find anything to attack him on other than his faithfulness to his God. Now, we'll see this in this chapter. We'll see it again as we continue the story of Daniel next week. But really, there is a clash going on here between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God. Jesus himself embodied in his incarnation. He came and fulfilled the Old Testament law and initiated the New Testament covenant. He lived out in human flesh the reality of true biblical theology, and he calls on us to follow his pattern and to live with that kind of integrity. C.S. Lewis said, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. That means it's not just about you making a statement to others, but you living a life that's pleasing to God. Proverbs 28, 6 says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. I like how someone has put this, God calls us to do what is right, not what is easy. Oh, how the church needs integrity, how we here at Calvary, we need integrity in the way in which we live our lives. Satan loves it when we have great theology, but our lives don't back it up. He'll take that all day because that advances the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't advance the kingdom of Christ and his marvelous light. Now, when you live with integrity, when you live and love like Jesus in holiness and love, some will be blessed and seek to lift you up. King Darius here, he... Um, he notices this wisdom and integrity and character and trustworthiness of Daniel, and he, he just keeps giving him higher positions and opportunities. While some will appreciate and acknowledge the integrity in your life, others will challenge your faith. Others will be bothered and seek to pull you down because as you live with integrity and you reflect the holy character of God and the compassion, love, and mercy of God in your life, they will see in a mirror that they fall short of who God is. They'll be bothered and they'll seek to pull you down. But we can't be pulled down into dealing with 
the things of this world and the ways in which God, our life that God calls us to is lived in, in contradiction to the values of this culture to the point that we're demeaning of people and, and we can't be pulled down to that kind of level and people want to pull us there so that we will get mired in the things of this world and so that we will not have the kind of integrity that reflects the reality of our God. When your faith is challenged... How you live is more important than what you believe because personal integrity is the best way to communicate biblical theology. So now back to Daniel chapter 6, and verse 6. So trying to find a way to trap him, they say the only way we can do this with his, is with his faithfulness with his God. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will strict, be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue a, and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. All these leaders come and they say, we're all in agreement. That's a lie. They haven't even brought Daniel in on this. He doesn't get a chance to speak up. They say, we're all in agreement, and they really give him something that's going to help him politically to unite this, this new empire as they've conquered so many people groups and taken over the Babylonians. So they say, for the next 30 days, let's have everybody only worship you, and then after 30 days, they can go back to their gods. But let's test their loyalty. Let's unify these people politically. And so they push this law because they know it's going to trap Daniel. But they're also stroking the king's ego, right? Hey, they're just going to worship you. We're all going to fall down before you and worship you. King Darius, this sounds politically good and personally advantageous. So he's in. And they say, and this will be a law you write. And so according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, it cannot be revoked. Now, ironically, the Medes and Persians believed that the king was himself a god, and so when he made a decision, not even he could rescind his decision because he did it as God. And so Darius is caught up in this, this arrogance and this pride, and he says, yes, all right, and he signs the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Now notice it says in verse 10 that Daniel had learned about the law. Daniel goes and he remains faithful in doing what he's always done. See, he's been praying three times a day with his windows open toward Jerusalem. See, before Daniel was born, a prophet named Isaiah had prophesied that God's people would be judged by a foreign nation and many would be taken captive and that there would be seven decades of judgment. And then at the end of that, that, that foreign government would allow some to return. And one year before Daniel chapter 6, the Persians began to allow the Jews to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, the walls and the temple, and to restore their land under the empire's reign. One year prior to that, 
And, and Isaiah said that in that day when the return begins, may the people who are living in exile, Daniel never made it back to his homeland as best we understand, but he opens his windows and he prays with hope and courage toward Jerusalem. By the way, he's doing this in such a way that it's still not obvious. He's not trying to flaunt this. He's not changing his behavior to put it in their face, if you will. He's actually just doing what he's always done. And if you read the text, they have to go snooping to catch him at this. This wasn't somebody just casually passed by. He's just being faithful, doing what he has done to walk with his God. And so they go to the king and they say, hey, king, was it, didn't you sign that law? Was it, what was that law again? Um, 30 days worshiping you or else they get thrown in the lion's den? Now, a lion's den, by the way, would have been a pit in the ground with an opening at the top. Probably on the side of the hill of this pit area, there would have been a way they could have allowed the lions in. They would have filled that pit with ravenous lions who hadn't eaten in days. And anyone who stood up against the king could be thrown into the pit. And they've made this law and they've established it. And the king said, yes, but look at verse 13. Then they told the king that man Daniel, that guy, one of the captives from Judah, this is a racist statement against him, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was, doubly, was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Do you see the testimony Daniel had with Darius? The king is, calls in the lawyers. He's trying to figure out, how do, I, how do I rescind this? And the response is that he can't. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Notice the faithfulness of God has been noticed by Darius and it blesses him and encourages him and he's, he's trying to find a way to rescue Daniel. But it also bothers and enrages others and they're trying to ruin him. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He didn't eat. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep all that night. He's disturbed because he's been tricked and, and by their own rules and customs, he can't get his friend out of this. And so as he is there in his own palace, grieving and mourning, he's hoping that, that, that Daniel's God did something to rescue him. The second thing that needs to be true of us when our faith is challenged, the second thing we need to be reminded of is that being faithful is more important than fighting back. Being faithful is more important than fighting back. You don't see evidence here of Daniel when he learns of it. It doesn't say in the passage, when he learns about what's happened with this law, he goes to the king and confronts him as a fool. He tries to point out those who tricked the king. And you know what Daniel does? He remains faithful. A lot of us lose being faithful because we get so caught up in the fight. Now, is it wrong to defend the faith? No. Is it wrong to, to speak up for Christian values in our culture? No. But what is wrong is when we put fighting against things over being faithful to our God. We need to continue to open God's word, work on our lives, and allow God to change us and mold us and shape us like Jesus. Allow the spirit of God to, to speak into our lives. Being faithful is more important than fighting back because consistent character is the best way to negate persistent criticism. 
And I think a lot of us have fallen into the trap of thinking best way to push back on the challenges to our faith and to our values is to shout as loud as others shout, to mock them as much as they mock us, to demean them, to belittle them, to be as mean and nasty because after all, they were mean and nasty and we're in the right. You can have the right position and misrepresent God by the way in which you defend the faith. It's more important that we remain faithful to our God. Daniel hears about the law and he just continues being faithful to God, living out his values. Paul would say it this way to the young man, Timothy, as Timothy was a young pastor getting started. He'd say, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Do, do these two verses reflect the attitude you've had online when you've gotten into debates with others? I'll tell you what, in many ways I've been so embarrassed by the way we as Christians have dealt with the challenges to our faith and the spirit and attitude. I rarely look at social media much anymore because I've been ashamed of how the church in general has, has been mean-spirited and, and spiteful and demeaning to other people. Jesus was never that way. He allowed his faithfulness of his character and his love to demonstrate the holiness and righteousness of God. You say, well, don't, don't, we, don't we answer back? Yes, we answer back. Yes, we defend the faith. Yes, we talk about those things that don't measure up. But we need to be spiritual about it. And you say, well, it is spiritual to get angry and frustrated and shout and scream and demand and belittle and mock. No, it isn't. The scriptures make it very clear what it means to be spiritual, where the Holy Spirit's been working in you so that the characteristics of Christ are flowing out of your life. Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. With the people you disagree with and maybe you challenge their values and their views because they've challenged yours or the traditional values of the Judeo-Christian ethic and you're trying to push back, would they say about you, yes, you know what, in her post, I saw the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control of Christ himself. Yes, in how he talked to me, I saw these qualities. If your answer is no, they're not seeing that for me then you need to correct your life, repent of that, and align yourself to the person of Jesus Christ. Walk in his holiness, walk in his love, and that means we need to be faithful to our God and emphasize that more than trying to fight back because consistent character is the best way to negate persistent criticism. Can I just challenge you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Just take... Just take um, Galatians 5, and 23. Maybe you need to take those qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, maybe print them out, write them out. Maybe if you struggle with this in your attitude, put it beside your computer, maybe put it on the dashboard of your car, on the mirror where you brush your teeth. Maybe you need to put it a thousand places to help you understand that as the followers of Christ, yes, we can defend the faith. Yes, we can develop arguments. Yes, we can, we can speak out, but we have to do it in the character 
of Christ demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit of God flowing from our lives and ask God to grow this fruit in you, that others would see that in you, even when they challenge you. Notice, Daniel does not destroy, condemn, attack those who are challenging his faith. He remains faithful to his God. Initially, you may be viewed as a loser to many. I bet as Daniel is being lowered and all the officials are standing around that hole and they're just grinning ear to ear, he feels like a big loser. They're probably hoping that before he even hits the ground, those ravenous lions will have shred him to pieces and within moments, his life would be gone. To many, he was viewed as a loser. We've got to learn that a political loss is not a spiritual setback. We have voices on the right and the left who claim if we lose this, then it's a spiritual setback. We've got to understand that opposition to our faith cannot thwart the advancement of Christ's kingdom when we are faithful in walking and talking and living and loving like Jesus. Ultimately, you'll be vindicated as a winner before God. Ultimately, you'll be vindicated as a winner before God. We'll see that in a moment, but that's the case with Daniel. Many ways, he's already won, even if the lions destroyed him because the king sees the integrity of his faith. Talks about his God being a living God. Ultimately, nothing in this world can harm us if we know Christ. Jesus came, he died, was buried, But he conquered the grave, and in conquering the grave, he conquered sin and death and hell for us. And we put our faith in what Christ did. God's grace rescues us, gives us new life in Christ, and we become eternal victors through the one who is the victor, the winner, Christ. And no matter what anyone does to us, even if our lives are taken we still will stand victorious before our God in Christ. You realize over the last year where we've grappled with masks and the things that bother us and trouble us, hundreds of thousands, millions of brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who refused to deny deny the name of Jesus were martyred, gave their lives, and we're whining about masks. And we're, we're, we're getting nasty with the people of this world. But we need to be faithful to our God and recognize no matter what, in Christ, we have victory. We're secure. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have that victory. Put your faith in Jesus today. You heard the testimony uh, of Adelaide and of Riley. By the way, Adelaide is Michelle Toom's daughter. You might not have made that connection. Michelle, who is our worship pastor, leading us just a few moments ago. They know they know Jesus. They want the world to know it. Do you know Jesus? Just put your faith in Christ today. If we can be of help to you, you want to tell us that today's the day you put your faith in Christ, you have questions, you can just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. If you're at home, that's the way you can communicate with us and and just text the name Jesus. Put that in the body of the message and text it to that number that's below me. And we'll follow up with you and give you resources to grow in the Lord, to understand what it means to live in victory, what it means to live faithfully for your God in a culture that's drifting farther and farther away from how he views the world and life. 
and we'll follow up with you. Somebody on our team will follow up to help you know what it means to grow in Jesus. If you're here in the room, I'll be out on the patio after the service. You can greet me there. We can have someone on our team. Pastor Curtis is up front. He'll be lingering outside. You can speak to one of us or a Christian friend, but make sure you know Jesus because the stuff of this life will overwhelm you. Once you know Jesus, though, nothing can take away your eternal victory in him. Even if some look at you and think that you look like a loser. I understand our impulse to fight back. I understand there's stuff that is contrary to God's views of things. One of the hot buttons right now is critical race theory. Actually, it's just critical theory. It can be applied to race, gender, socioeconomics, a number of other things. I talked about this in my message on the Sermon on the Mount. I dealt with critical theory. I think maybe a lot of folks weren't as aware of it as they are now and what it means. And there are problematic things about critical race theory or critical theory of any kind. Critical theory says that every person in every issue is either an oppressor or the oppressed. And oppressors need to be brought down and the oppressed lifted up. And it's based on human relationships that just from the horizontal level, we've got to equal everything out and bring equality and try to bring dignity to everyone. So we pull some down and pull some up and and it, it has some dangerous methodology and philosophy to it. Some of the intent to bring equality, that's good. But critical theory says that because you're male, you must be sexist. Because you're white, you must be racist. Because you're wealthy, you, you must be someone who is greedy and is, is trying to rob those who have nothing. And it pits people against people, and it says, we've got to get power and take away power from others. And there's danger in that. It doesn't reflect the plan of God. As a matter of fact, God's plan for racial reconciliation that flows from his heart, God's plan to see women treated properly, historically they haven't been, but to see people of, of uh, different categories that have been put together in critical theory treated with equality and dignity, God's plan is far greater and far higher and demands much more from us than critical race theory ever will. And it's lived out in the person of Christ himself. God's plan is not about how we stand before others, but before him. Our God says that every human being from conception forward, no matter who they are, their ethnicity, their gender, their race, the color of their skin, their age, their ability or disability, no matter who they are, they are made in the image of God. And they are equal, and they have dignity. And the church needs to be on the forefront of making sure that sexism ends and racism ends and any other thing that pits people against people comes to a conclusion. Jesus' way was not to drag people down and pull people up. He pulled people from the margins into the center. He called on people to humble themselves and reach to pull others up. It's a high call on the church. But sometimes, even though that's problematic, our response has been problematic. Because we're fighting critical race theory to this point that it can be painted like we are for racism. But some of it is because we're not responding properly. 
We think it's all in the fight. We've got to win the fight and win the argument. Again, there's a place for proper apologetics and, and defending the faith, but we can't do it while we lose our integrity and we lose our faithfulness to our God because it is our integrity of character and it is our faithfulness to our God that will allow us to live in holiness and love so that the things that are a part of this world because of greed and lust and power mongering will all come to an end through the kingdom of God being released through us. And it's high time we not only criticize those things that are flawed biblically, and God has a higher plan than what man ever could have on issues like race, but it's also time for us to make sure that we represent Jesus well. And we don't say, because that's so bad, I can scream. Because that's so bad, I can cuss. Because that's so bad, I can put down memes and put memes online on, on the social media that mock others. Jesus never mocked, belittled, or yelled at anybody. We who are the followers of Jesus Christ, when our faith is challenged, we need to know being faithful is more important than fighting back. Because consistent, faithful, Christ-like character will negate persistent criticism of God and his values. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's in the lion's den. The king can't sleep all night. We read in verse 19, very early the next morning, as soon as daylight came, he went. The king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Notice that Darius's understanding of Daniel's God doesn't change based on whether or not Daniel's alive. He already sees that Daniel's God is the true God. Let me say this, sometimes the lions bite and devour, sometimes the giants kill, sometimes the floods drown, sometimes people are martyred for their faith as they live as exiles. But we can still have courage and hope and confidence in our God, just as Darius expresses that here. Verse 21, Daniel answered, long live the king. Now, I admire Daniel for that because I would have said, yes, I'm alive, but not, not because of you in any way. It was your foolishness that caused me to be here, you jerk. That would have been my response. Daniel answered the Lord, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel might be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him. Must have been frustrating for those hungry lions, right? They couldn't open their mouths. They couldn't do anything to hurt him, for he had trusted in his God. He didn't just trust his God in the lion's den. He trusted his God in being faithful, in praying as he's always as he had prayed. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown in the lions, then along with their wives and children, the lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. This is not a pretty picture. This would not have been what Daniel would have recommended. Those individuals who plotted against him should face some punishment, but it shouldn't be as brutal as this. But in the ancient world, in a kingdom like the Medes and Persians, they practiced this kind of brutality to intimidate and make sure no one else ever crossed the king. Verse 25, then King Darius sent his message 
to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. Now listen to this proclamation of the king that goes out throughout the empire. After you just made a decree, worship me and me only for 30 days. On day like three or something, he's now got a different decree. And listen to this decree. It sounds like what you hear in the book of Revelation around the throne room of heaven, around the throne in the throne room of heaven. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom shall tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. When your faith is challenged, you gotta remember You gotta remember that how you live is more important than how you behave. Being faithful is more important than fighting back. And thirdly, you gotta remember that the fear of God is more important than the threat from others. People may threaten to harm us, they may threaten to exclude us, they may threaten to leave us out of things, but we shouldn't be afraid of what man can do to us. We should have a healthy and holy fear of God. And some people say, oh, you don't have a fear of God. The writer of Proverbs says that a healthy fear of God helps us have wisdom and knowledge and understanding because a fear of God is to say, okay, you are God, you are holy, you made me, I am gonna be held accountable to you. You love me and sent Jesus to have a relationship with me. You are God and I am not. That's a healthy fear of God. So now because you are God who made me and redeemed me, I'm now going to live the way you want me to live, not just in holiness, but also in love. A healthy fear of God is more important than worrying about the threats of what other people can do to us because surrendering all to God is the best way to demonstrate trusting God in everything. Daniel, when he knelt down to pray, recognized that he was surrendering everything to God his very life. But in surrendering all, we learn to trust God in everything. And God is trustworthy. We can trust him. When Daniel comes out of there, it says that Daniel didn't even have a scratch because he trusted his God. Our God is trustworthy. Sometimes we put our trust in things that aren't trustworthy. Last Saturday night, not not last night, but a week ago, uh, we were in the Chicago area where my daughter lives. My father and his wife live about two and a half, three hours away. And I had planned to take my dad and his wife to a Cubs game, Cubs versus the Cardinals, last Saturday night. And uh, my brother kind of bet me that dad would never go to the Cubs game, so I had to warm my dad up to this idea, then I had to drive him the three hours. We caught up with my wife and daughter and some friends that were there in Chicago, and I had planned this so that trying to remove any obstacle from my father so that he would go to the game and enjoy it. He hadn't been there since he was a kid. And... Um, he, he's got some trouble walking with some pain in the knee and different stuff. So I thought, I need to get him. And Leslie had hurt her ankle while we were gone. And so I needed to get her as close as I could to Wrigley Field, in downtown Chicago, where the Cubs play. And so I'd gone on Spot Hero. It's like DoorDash or, or, uh, or Uber, where you can, uh, you can uh, pick a spot to park and pay for it. And then it's available when you get there. And so this spot was really close. Paid a little bit extra for parking because I wanted to get dad close to remove any excuses. We get into this alley, which I knew we were going to have to get into, and some uncomfortable characters around us in this alley. And um, I looked to where the space was. It was clear from the pictures on the app and everything. That's my space. But someone had parked in a way that blocked me from getting to the space I paid for on Spot Hero. 
So I'm pretty frustrated in this alley. A guy knocks on my window and he says, oh, did you get something from a spot here? This happens a lot. Your spot's parked. You can't get in. I said, yeah. And I, you know, I paid for that. Now where am I going to park? And game's about to start. And the guy says, just give me your keys. I'll park your car. It'll be here for you when you come out. I said, wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm not that dumb. I said, what's your name? He said, Gary. I said, okay, I got your name. And, and he gave me a cell phone number. And, uh, and I hear my wife in the back going, no, 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 no. Here we are in an alley, and Gary says, just give me the keys to your car. It'll be back. And he gave me a price that was cheaper than I had paid for. And so I said, okay, Gary, here are the keys to the car. And we walk in, and my wife's saying, didn't you hear me saying no, 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 from the back seat? I said, yeah, but it did, it just I didn't want all the hassle. And she said, but what if the car isn't there when we come back? I said, it's Avis's car. What do I care? <laughs> We get into the game, and about the second inning, I leaned over to Leslie, and I said, you know, I'm starting to think about this trust in Gary. <laughs> he did have an orange flag. I could see myself telling the police afterwards, the guy stole my car. How did he steal it? Well, I got in this uh, alley, and he said, give me the keys. I'll park your car. <laughs> well, who was he? Well, his name is Gary, and here's the phone number he gave me. And he gave me a card, by the way, that said Wrigleyville Parking, and it had someone else's name on it, not his. <laughs> I had second thoughts about it. Thankfully, when we got out, Gary not only had parked a car, he'd parked it in a garage there in the alley, and he was sitting in front of it with the keys to other cars he'd parked. And the car was there. I paid less, got my money back from Spot Hero. It all worked out. But I shouldn't have trusted Gary. <laughs> Could have been a really hard lesson to learn. But you know what? Our God is trustworthy. He is not questionable. He won't fail us. We can trust him. And when we surrender all like Daniel did, when we surrender all, we trust him with everything. William Grinnell said, we fear people so much because we fear God so little. You see, when you have a healthy fear of God and who he is and who you are in relationship to him as his child, you'll be able to trust him with what happens to you. That whether the lions bite or not, you're a victor in him and you can trust him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, to trust God in the light, that is nothing, but to trust God in the dark, that is faith. And we need that kind of all-surrender faith with a healthy understanding of who our God is. And when you have a healthy understanding of God, you're able to trust him with what happens to others. We don't have to be vindictive. We don't have to be spiteful. We don't have to wish for the demise of others. We trust God to not only take care of us, but to take care of others. Isaiah 49, 23 says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. It's not a matter of if your faith will be challenged one day. It's a matter of when. And when it is challenged, you got to keep living faithfully no matter where that takes you. How do you do that? Well, you remember when your faith is challenged that how you live is more important than what you believe. Being faithful is more important than fighting back. And the fear of God is more important than the threat from others. And our world needs to see Daniel's those who live in exile in a culture that's now living far from the values God gives us as his children. Let me ask you, are you living faithfully for God no matter where it takes you? Your faith will be challenged. We need to be Christ-like people who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit even when we disagree, even when our lives are lived in contrast to a culture that's drifting farther and farther from the heart and values of our God. In the mid-1940s, a boy was born in a holler in West Virginia. The boy's name was Marshall. He was one of 10 children. Two of his siblings 
uh, had severe special needs, and one was not even able to walk, and the other was not able to communicate. It was a, a poor family. They were very troubled. The father couldn't work in the mines. He had some injuries, couldn't work anywhere else, and so the family did odd jobs for people. As a family, they'd go and pick apples and keep one tree's worth of apples for themselves, lived on the edge of poverty all the time. It was a tough life. In the little property they owned, uh, there was a church next door. A new pastor and his wife showed up one day and started to be kind to this family. The father, Marshall's father, seemed to resent that, but he had some beef with Christianity and religion and how someone had treated him at one time. And so he pushed back on this pastor and his wife. But Marshall was interested. In about 10 years of age, he went to church one day, just walked next door. And when he came home, his dad was working in his garden. He said, were you in church? He said, yep. Well, let me tell you, you can go, but every time you go, I'm going to spank you when you get back. So for months and years, that's what his father did. Marshall came to Jesus, got baptized, got serious about God. And he wasn't going to be deterred by the challenge of his faith to his own father. He went off to college and became a teacher and got a master's degree in French horn performance and started going by his first name rather than his middle name, middle name being Marshall, his first name being Jim. He became a band director in the county schools and a high school was very active in his church with his wife, and he eventually became the music minister of a church. And then a young pastor showed up in 1997 named Sean Thornton, and I served alongside Pastor Jim McQuarrie, this worship pastor, for 12 years. And I heard his story of how his faith had been challenged. And I watched Jim as he worked with young people, people who'd given lessons to, people who'd been in classes with him, young people in the church when they would drift from the Lord or they uh, got into sin and behaviors that weren't right, he would love them and go out of his way to, to demonstrate to them who Christ was in the faithfulness of his own life. And while a lot of our pastors would get all up in arms about different things and they would fly off the handle on this or that and they were fighting all kinds of battles, Jim was faithful. And I learned a lot as a young man watching Jim McQuarrie because he was a Daniel. He understood that personal integrity being faithful to God and having a healthy fear of God was critical to making a difference. Eventually, his own parents came to the Lord. Eventually, he had the full care of those two sisters, and he loved on them and took care of them for the rest of their lives. He's now living in New Jersey near one of his kids. He's retired, but I know that wherever he is, he's still being a Daniel. He's being faithful to God no matter where that takes him, and it's made a deep impact on many lives. Oh, we need to be like that. We need to be Daniels in our day. Our world needs that. We need to live in love like Jesus in a way that's countercultural, but isn't rude, demeaning, belittling, but shows the heart and values of our God.